On this episode of the Random Thoughts Podcast, Taylor Hawkins' death, the slap heard around the world, Donald Trump calling on Vladimir Putin to take action on Hunter Biden, why are YouTube views down, and so, so much more. So come on, stick around. Hello and welcome to episode number 181 of the Random Thoughts podcast. That is R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and we have a few things to get through today. And no, we're not going to start with where the mainstream media has been over the last few days with the slap heard around the world. We're going to start with the story of Taylor Hawkins. Foo Fighters drummer who passed away at the age of 50 from a drug overdose. I was going to say an apparent drug overdose, but the news is already out. The cocktail of drugs that was in his system was quite impressive. You can look up that report if you want to know the details, but it was something that Taylor Hawkins had struggled with his entire life. He was an addict, and he was a guy that seemingly could not control the addiction, even though he thought he could. And I think we all know people that deal with some stuff like that where they think they can keep it under control, but it's something that is really very difficult to control if you're talking about a drug or an alcohol addiction. At one point, Taylor Hawkins did spend two weeks in a coma from a heroin overdose, and he spoke quite candidly about his problems with drugs. And it was interesting when he passed away, the way it was covered, the way social media reacts to things now. It's an interesting barometer about where we are as a society. To see how people react to certain things. And it's getting pretty dark. It is getting pretty dark. And I don't know if this is the reality of the situation or if we're dealing with a lot of bots who push this kind of stuff in order to create more strife, in order to create more division. But it seems like there were some people that took the opportunity of the untimely death of Taylor Hawkins to make more anti-vaccine remarks, spew some hatred because the Foo Fighters wanted people to be vaccinated in order to get into their shows. And it was just a very strange thing. I keep trying to wrap my brain around going there when somebody dies and almost taking glee and like, ha ha, I think he probably died of the vaccine. When again, the reality, which you would have gotten just a couple of days later, shows a massive drug overdose. But no, people want to jump to this. I don't know if it makes them feel better. I don't know. It may be confirmation bias for all those who don't like the vaccine, who believe it's bad. And maybe that's what it is. It's a confirmation thing. 
rather than looking at things from a more scientific, a more realistic viewpoint. In this case, a guy that had struggled with addiction his whole life, drug overdose in Bogota, Colombia. I mean, it almost seems a little cliche. But the fact of the matter is he had a drug problem and it ended up killing him. His heart, according to the doctor that did the autopsy, weighed about twice what the average human male would at that age, which is a sure sign of drug abuse, of non-healthy living. And it would seemingly be just a matter of time. I mean, I guess I would question why Taylor Hawkins did not have an awareness of this, or maybe he did. Because I'm somebody who has had heart issues throughout my whole life. And once a year, I go in for a test that they do an imaging of the heart and they can tell you exactly what's going on. So when you have a heart that is enlarged to the point that Mr. Hawkins was, this wasn't something that just happened overnight. And it is a sad story, but it is not a unique story. It is not something that is unique to rock and roll stars. Drug abuse is a very serious problem, which is one of the reasons why the open border issue is a hot button for so many people that the left wants to point and go, ha, you're just a racist. And they want to ignore the fact about the vast amount of drugs that are coming in to the United States that are killing a lot of people. But if you're one of those people that wanted to make a snide remark when somebody dies, I don't even care who it is. You might want to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself why that is. Because that lack of empathy is a bad sign. And it is something that I've heard talked about in a variety of places over the last few years with the result of the social media society that we're now living in, which is there's communications going on with people that do not know each other, that are in vastly different cultures, that do not understand maybe the cultures that they're talking about, or in this case, simply do not care. It's very easy to dehumanize somebody when you don't know them. It's very much different if all of these people that were making those snide remarks on social media about Taylor Hawkins immediately after his death, if they were face to face with his wife and kids, would they have said the same thing? I'm curious. If you're one of those people that made those remarks and you're listening to this somehow, I'd like to know. Would you have said that to his wife? and kids upon hearing about his death. Now, I think it raises interesting questions, sure, but timing is a lot of that package. Timing is a big part of when it's okay to start delving into something. Questions can be asked, sure, but I just think that shows bad form. We saw this with Justice Thomas being in the hospital a lot of people are like oh geez this would be great if he would just kick off we could get another liberal judge from brain dead joey 
And that's just bad form. I mean, you can go back and hear what I said when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. It's like, I didn't like her policies, but my goodness, if you're taking joy in anybody passing, you might, again, want to look yourself in the mirror. But Taylor Hawkins left his mark on the music industry. And he was seemingly a really big music fan. I did a little bit of reading, a little bit of research. And in an interview that he did a couple of years ago, he talked about bands from King Crimson to Van Halen to Steely Dan. And he seemed to be a fan of music just as much as he was a performer of music. And if you ever saw him on stage, it always looked like he was having the time of his life, which why wouldn't you when you're in one of the biggest rock bands in the world performing in all corners of the world, more money than you know what to do with, which doesn't always get you everything that you want. There was a video from TMZ from a few years ago which I thought was hilarious. It was Grammy night and it was an after party that Taylor Hawkins, along with Beck, not the political commentator, the musician, singer, songwriter Beck, and Paul McCartney were all hanging out together trying to get into an after party and they were denied entrance into the party. And I'm still trying to wonder how that exactly worked out because the door of this club, wherever this venue was, opens up and front and foremost is Sir Paul McCartney. And then the door just closes and McCartney turns around and says to Beck and Hawkins, like, I guess we need some more hits, boys. <laughs> you know, uh, we're not going to be let in. And they took that with a good stride, got back in the car, and obviously went on to another after party. But you don't always get what you want. But, I mean, Taylor Hawkins lived a pretty good life. And if his terms were that he was going to do drugs and understood the risks, you know, this is why you can question calling somebody a hero, but I can't really fault them for living the life that they want to live. All of the tributes pouring in, including one from Paul McCartney that we'll talk about in a minute, all of them said really nice things about Taylor Hawkins, which is, I mean, okay, I get it. This is what you expect when anybody dies. But there were some interesting stories, including one from Kevin Cronin of Chicago's REO Speedwagon. They were big back in the 70s and 80s, that Kevin Cronin's son has a little band, and every now and then, they would be playing similar things to one of Taylor Hawkins' side projects that he did. And Kevin Cronin said that he was just one of the nicest guys, would just like to hang out and talk about music. And Kevin Cronin said he will never forget there was a time when REO and the Foo Fighters were both in rehearsal spaces that were next to each other and they were getting ready to go out on tour, whatever it was. And they were doing the rehearsing REO. And he's like, we 
go into and we're starting to rehearse Roll With The Changes, one of their big songs. And the next thing you know, in walks Taylor Hawkins and Dave Grohl, who just air drum the whole song while they're going through it. You know, again, that says to me, big fan of music. And Taylor Hawkins had a nephew that has autism. And he would play a bunch of charity shows to try to raise awareness for that. He seemingly was a really nice guy. There was a story from three days prior to his passing when the Foo Fighters were in Paraguay. And they were playing a big festival. And due to some really inclement weather, the show had to be canceled. Now, there was a nine-year-old girl named Emma Sophia who has been playing drums for a couple of years. Her uncle got her into it. Her uncle, a big Foo Fighters fan, had tickets for the show and, of course, were disappointed that the show was canceled. So they decided to take Sophia's drum kit on a tip of what hotel the Foo Fighters were at. And she went outside the hotel, set up her drums start playing for a half hour. A little crowd got together. People were making some noise. And the word, I would guess, got into the hotel about what was going on. And Taylor Hawkins came out. He apologized to all of the fans that were out there for the cancellation at the festival and then took the time to talk with the young drummer that was playing, Emma Sophia. And a picture which has now gone viral of the two of them smiling. The girl was absolutely speechless. Her father saying she said that day was about to be the worst day of her life and suddenly turned into the best day of her life. To me, that should be the important story out of all of this, of what type of a person that Taylor Hawkins was. Yeah, he was a flawed individual. Every one of us is a flawed individual. He struggled with addiction and it eventually cost him his life. But with that said, he seemed to enjoy every minute of his life to the fullest. And I think that's part of making your own choices. You decide what's best for you, how you want to live your life. And there is no question that Taylor Hawkins brought a lot of joy to a lot of people through his music, through his charitable efforts. And obviously, in the case of one fan in Paraguay, by getting up close and personal with the fans. And as I said, Paul McCartney chimed in on this, and I was unaware of how close he was with Taylor Hawkins and the Foo Fighters in general. But he wrote, Taylor's sudden death came as a shock to me and the people who knew and loved him. Not only was he a great drummer, but his personality was big and shiny and will be sorely missed by all who were lucky to live and work alongside him. I was asked by the Foo Fighters to play on one of their tracks. It turned out that they wanted me to play drums on one of Taylor's songs. This request came from a group with two amazing drummers. It was an incredible session and cemented my relationship with Taylor and the guys. Later, they asked if I would induct them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I sang with them on Get Back. Taylor provided a powerhouse drum part. I'll never forget that night, all of which made it much more of a desperately sad shock to hear he had died. So thanks, Taylor, for sharing some glorious minutes with me. 
You were a true rock and roll hero and will always remain in my heart. God bless his family and band. Love, Paul. None of us knows where life is going to take us. And the very wise words of Warren Zevon come to mind. Enjoy every sandwich. Now, we do have to talk about the slap herd around the world. Well, we don't have to talk about the slap herd around the world, but we are going to briefly talk about it. Just again, the most interesting thing for me is the reaction to the slap herd around the world, which of course is Will Smith slapping Chris Rock after Chris Rock told a joke about Will Smith's wife at the Oscars. The fallout so far from this, Chris Rock's ticket sales are going through the roof. Absolutely spiking, going through the roof. And he was just about to start a tour. So this is really good timing for Chris Rock. The Academy today is having meetings, the Board of Governors, whatever they call it, to decide the fate of Will Smith, which could be anything from a slap on the wrist, pun intended to having the award that he won that night taken away, the main whatever it was. I don't even know. I know he won a bunch of stuff. The question on a lot of people's minds was, was it real or was it fake? And there's a lot of gray area in there on whether it was real or whether it was fake. There is no question that there was some contact made between Will Smith and Chris Rock. Whether they had planned to do something like this before, and who knows? I mean, it was a stupid G.I. Jane joke that Will Smith originally laughed at and then looked at his wife, who was not amused, and that is when he decided to get up and slap Chris Rock. Now, there's a lot of interesting things that have been pointed out, including the fact that the sound you hear when the slap hits is more of a muffled, like the microphone being hit on Chris Rock's lapel rather than the crisp slap that you would get on his face. Now, it's also possible there was contact made in both places when face being slapped could also mean elbow hitting microphone and all of that. The fact that there was no security that came running out, nothing was stopped. Will Smith was allowed to just sit back down was what brought up a lot of questions from people as far as, well, what really happened? Was this a bit? Will Smith, of course, dropping a couple of F-bombs, something they don't like in the United States. ABC cut the feed. But if you can go to YouTube, which everybody should be able to, although a lot less people are, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you can find the unedited version. And I will say, Will Smith, one hell of an actor because he can emote loud enough that without being mic'd, he was very clearly heard when he was yelling at Chris Rock. You know, this, to me, should have been a very quick story. Everybody can move on. The Academy can decide whatever they want to decide. If they end up pulling Will Smith's membership, then that'll be an interesting case moving forward. I doubt they will. But it is a very woke organization who is very against things like, you know, violent outburst. And if we allow the guy we just gave the biggest award of the night to to 
be unscathed to not be punished after an act of violence against somebody that just made a joke. And that is a big part of this as well, not just in the Oscars, but I think anybody that in that realm that is at one of these award shows know that comedians take their swipes, they take their swings, and it sets a really bad precedent if you allow people to go up and start swinging. Now, if Mrs. Smith would have gone up and, you know, grabbed Chris Rock by the ear and yelled at him about what a meanie is, that I would have thought would have been funny. But the overall act of violence, I don't know. This does not fit in the society that we supposedly have today. A lot of other actors would have been canceled. I mean, Will Smith is so big, he hasn't been canceled yet. And why? I mean, that is the question. Are you allowing somebody because you like them more to get away with something more? But to me, what happens at the Oscars don't really mean anything. But this does transfer over into how people are reacting to each other on the street. There's been a lot more road rage going on. You have a lot more anger out there. You cannot have violence that is allowed to go on, you know, unless you live in New York. Well, they'll just you hit somebody in the head with a brick. Nah, no bail. California, the same way. Chicago, the same way. You wonder why crime is running rampant. Maybe now it's going to be like, well, I learned it from Will Smith on TV. Did you see him smack Chris Rock? And I have to say, Chris Rock wins hands down especially being quite a bit smaller than Will Smith for taking the slap, never getting into an aggressive posture, never even raising his hand to rub the side of his face like, oh, that hurt. He just went right back to doing his job. And it will be interesting. I can see why tickets to Chris Rock's comedy shows have been selling gangbusters now. Because I'm wondering what's going to be in that bit about the slap. I mean, it's got to be in there. And it's going to be fodder for so many comedians here moving forward that I think Will Smith is really, really, really going to regret the slap. Now, if he would have punched Chris Rock, that would have given him a lot more street cred, but then he probably would have been arrested maybe that would have been more violent to the extreme i don't know but i think you lose a lot of credibility when you just come out and do the slap thing i don't know i'm not advocating for more violence but if you're making the case that the offense was so bad that violence was warranted. But, you know, just a little slap. A slap that Chris Rock just kind of took and went, eh, okay. If he would have been like, is that all you got? See, that would have been funny. But it'll be interesting to see where Chris Rock takes this. And it's interesting to watch again, just like with the Taylor Hawkins death, watching how people are reacting on social media there was definitely a split. There were people that were like, oh, yeah, I can't believe Chris Rock, a comedian, 
would say something mean about somebody in the audience. I mean, do you not know what comedy is? I mean, maybe they don't, because we've talked about that before, too. Comedy is dead, because comedy is not pretty, as Steve Martin would say. Comedy was taking something that has a small kernel of truth to it and blowing it up to the point where people laugh at it. And I don't know. I don't think the G.I. Jane joke was all that bad, but I could see where it would hit a nerve. The reaction, though, probably a little excessive. But the crowds, I mean, they were they were split. Some people thought Chris Rock deserved it. And those were the woke people, I guess, that really love violence. And then there were people that just said, no, never, never do words give you carte blanche to commit an act of violence. Because as we've also said on this show, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's what kids used to be taught in this woke world. Now, I don't know what they're being taught, but the media is giving it a lot of time rather than, you know, some other world events that are going on that might just be a little bit more important. Can we say inflation? Can we say that the average American family will be paying over $5,000 in 2022 more than they spent in 2021? on the vital things that they need to live and survive. That is a huge increase. That is an increase that most families cannot handle. Most people live paycheck to paycheck, don't have savings. And if you're living paycheck to paycheck and all of a sudden you're spending $5,000 more in a year, where does that money come from? And you're going to start seeing more and more of the government trying to send out stimulus checks. It's the beginning of universal basic income where the government continues to send money to people to keep them on the dole, to keep them under control. And, oh, if you say something on Twitter they don't like, well, then they're not going to send you that check. Hmm, that seems nefarious. But as the mainstream media is covering the slap heard around the world, we have Donald Trump calling on Vladimir Putin, no, 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 not to end the war in Ukraine, but to release the information on Hunter Biden's dealings with Russian oligarchs. And this is just driving a bunch of people absolutely insane which it's fun to watch that. It is fun to watch when people go absolutely insane. For those that have not been following along, a grand jury in Delaware has been investigating Hunter Biden's business dealings and possible tax violations, foreign lobbying issues, money laundering, you know, the usual stuff that seems to surround so many people in government. And Donald Trump was doing an interview with Just the News where he was talking about the dealings that Hunter Biden had with the wife of the mayor of Moscow, I believe it was, saying, quote, she gave him $3.5 million, so now I would think Putin would know the answer to that. I think he should release it. I think we should know that answer, end quote. Again, Donald Trump calling on Vladimir Putin to release some information about Hunter Biden. Can you just imagine, how is the international community? going to handle that one 
if that were to happen, would anybody believe anything? We're just going right back into the Russia, 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 Trump colluding with Russia, which is exactly why the Democrats set it up that way, because they're the ones with the dealings in Russia, in Ukraine, all of this cover up going on seems to point to the same area, seems to point to the same people. But of course, if you blame it on Donald Trump, the media will pick that up. They will run with it. And you never really get to the truth of what's going on, much like what's going on with the January 6th investigation. The latest thing that the mainstream media is running with is that, oh, my God, there's a gap. In Donald Trump's phone logs. Oh my goodness. On January 6th, this must mean something really nefarious was going on because there were no phone calls between the times that they're giving here a little after 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. on January 6th. Does that really mean anything? On its face, no. There are times people don't get phone calls. There are times you're doing something else. And on January 6th, as we will all recall, Donald Trump did speak to an audience at about noon is when the speech started. So we're saying that he wasn't talking to anybody on the phone from a little after 11 to about 7 p.m. And we think that's nefarious. Well, the speech went from noon to a little after one. So we're saying 11, 12, one. So let's just say there were that first three hours or so that this is, oh my God, he wasn't talking to anybody on the phone. The first three hours of the seven and a half, eight hours they're talking about here were spent talking to a crowd of thousands of people on national television. I mean, usually, usually you don't take phone calls at that particular point. I mean, I don't know. I've never been in front of a crowd of thousands. But even when I'm recording podcasts, I turn the ringer of the phone off because I don't want to be talking to anybody while I'm doing something else. Now, there's, of course, a few hours after that, while all of this stuff was going down at the Capitol. And the question then becomes, who did Donald Trump need to call at that point? I'm not sure he needed to call anybody. Where was he? Who was he with? Because if you have your closest advisors in the room with you, you don't need to call him on the phone. I don't know. Was he supposed to call Joe Biden? Was he supposed to call Nancy Pelosi? I don't know. Now, John Bolton, a guy that I don't trust as far as I can throw him, is also adding fuel to this fire saying, whoa, Donald Trump used burner phones. Now, is that the truth? I don't know. There's no proof that Donald Trump was using burner phones if he was, somebody had to buy them for him. I don't think, unless Donald Trump, was he going into the Piggly Wiggly? He's going into the 7-Eleven. Was he walking in and buying some burner phones, maybe with like bad sunglasses on to get a few extra phones that he could use, you know, off the government uh, tracking list? I don't know. Somebody would have had to buy them. Somebody would have had to provide them for him. There would be some kind of record somewhere somebody would have seen something the only thing that really gives me pause is donald trump was asked about this and his answer allegedly was that he doesn't even know what a burner phone is 
And I don't believe that for a minute. So what the truth is there, again, probably not black and white, but there are always people around a sitting president. The concept that he's using burner phones, if it's true, somebody around him would know about it. And in this case, when you're talking about, oh, we're missing seven and a half hours of time and three of those hours were in front of getting prepared for his speech and being in front of a crowd. It makes sense. And then you had all of these other people with you while you're watching what's going on unfolding. I don't know who he was supposed to personally be calling. You have advisors if you're the president. If something like January 6th is going down, you're like, hey, you call and do this, call and do that. Make this guy do this. Make this person do that. So I don't think having a gap in the call logs is proof of anything. You're going to need a lot more. But this is the kind of story that the mainstream media will run with. Unsubstantiated. You'll hear more of people familiar with the matter or people close to the president who we cannot name. Yeah, when you're trying to take a president or ex-president down, you're going to have to name some names. Anonymous sources just aren't going to do, at least not for anybody who still has a brain left. But it's interesting to me that Trump's calling on Putin to release the Hunter Biden information. That would be a story. That would be a whole lot of fun. And in our final story of the day, I want to look at a question posed on Twitter by our executive producer of today's show, Bandrew Scott, of the Bandrew Says podcast of the Podcastage YouTube channel. He posted, quote, took a survey of a bunch of audio channels and almost everyone is down 15 to 20 percent month over month. These are YouTube channels. Also, looking at a few channels in other niches, or is it niches, 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 sure. The same seems to be true. See, now I understand why you ask people to send in audio and video questions, Bandrew. Reading is hard. Niche, niche, niche. I'll get it. And if you're not listening to the Banjo Pants Says podcast, you are missing out. But back to the question. Anyone got theories about what has changed? So the question, why are the views on a bunch of YouTube channels across a whole bunch of topics down 15 to 20% month over month, which is a pretty big swing downward. And I do believe there's an answer to this. And I do believe it has to do with what's going on in the world. A lot of it, I believe, is that people do not have disposable income anymore. And I would be curious if YouTube releases numbers on those that subscribe to the YouTube premium, which is $11.99 a month, I believe, but it removes the ads when people watch YouTube videos. And for people that watch YouTube, the $11.99 is a bargain basement price. I just could not handle watching the things that I do on YouTube, and there are only a few of them. The Bandrew Says Podcast is one. The Podcasted Channel is one. The Modern Rogue that Brian Brushwood does is one. There's a few different music channels that I watch. One, The Professor of Rock. There's a guy that owns a record store. And we 
occasionally like to watch some of the Lego videos that a guy named Brixie puts out. And before we subscribed and paid the $11.99 a month, the amount of ads that you see in every short video makes it nearly impossible to watch. So my question at this point would be, now that inflation, thanks to Uncle Joe, is rising at a rate that most people alive today have not seen in their lifetime, especially most people that might be watching YouTube and paying for YouTube, all of a sudden, those people that are living paycheck to paycheck, we just told you, the average family spending over 5500 I believe it was, more this year than last year because of inflation. With that 5500 most people living paycheck to paycheck, they can't afford it. So I believe a lot of people are going, you know, I don't need to pay that 12 bucks a month to YouTube. And the minute you stop paying the 12 bucks a month to YouTube, I don't know if I could watch the shows that I like on YouTube if I had to deal with the constant ads. So I would love to see YouTube's numbers on how many people have dropped the paid subscription. And I think that might tell a huge story along with lesser effect that more and more people are going back into the office. More and more people are putting time into other things. YouTube, when the pandemic hit, I think was like therapy to a lot of people. And there were people that never watched YouTube before. You only watched a little bit here and there. All of a sudden, we're watching a lot of YouTube. They were binging on YouTube. They were finding new channels that they liked. And if there was a lot of content on that channel, they pretty much watched it all because, you know, home, pandemic, not working, whatever it was. So I think that's to a lesser amount that would have an effect on things. But I believe a lot of it is overall, people don't have money. Thus, they're not going to pay to remove the ads on YouTube. And the ads are so invasive that what they're doing is then going to other content that maybe they could pirate, that they can watch and enjoy without advertisements rather than watching the YouTube videos that they were watching. What do you think? Chime in if you have an idea on why all of a sudden there would be a huge crash in the number of people watching YouTube videos. It's not like there's a new platform that just came out and stole all of their thunder away. I don't believe it has anything to do with an algorithm change or anything like that. I believe that people are just jumping off the bandwagon. Granted, it's a very small case study, but even the No Agenda podcast featuring Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak have talked about how their donations have gone down like 30% since the Ukraine stuff started going on. They're blaming it on the topics that they're covering because some people don't like the way that they're covering the Ukraine story. I don't necessarily believe that it is topic-based why the donations are down, the support is down for that podcast. I again believe that people are looking at their bank accounts and saying, I don't have the disposable income right now. And that is going to cause a whole lot of problems moving forward for people that are doing content like I am, 
and people that are consuming it going, you know, I'd really like to support the show, but I'd really like to eat more. And I totally get that. I totally get that. So when the economy is bad and people are paying thousands of dollars more than they were last year just to get food and pay for their mortgage and pay for the air conditioning and heating bills and to pay to put gas in their car, I understand that the money is not there to support their favorite podcast or to have a YouTube subscription or to have a Hulu subscription or Netflix. People are cutting back. And that is why I greatly appreciate everybody who comes in to monetarily support this show. If you can, we ask you to do so. If you can't, that's absolutely fine. You can tell a friend or two about the show, help the audience grow. That is also very much appreciated. We do work on the value for value model, which we learned from Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak of the No Agenda podcast, which means we put these shows out there. You listen to them and you get to decide if you have gotten any value out of them. And if so, you can get some value back to us in the monetary sense and you get to decide. Was the show worth a dollar? Was it worth $10? Was it worth $100? Did what? I don't know. It may even be worth $1,000 to you if you found out something you didn't know or that can help you. And whatever that number is, you go to randomthoughts.com slash donate and you click that donate button to do a one-time or monthly donation. You can use the QR codes or wallet addresses if you want to go the crypto route. You can use the P.O. Box address if you want to go the snail mail check, money order, whatever route. And if you're listening on a podcasting 2.0 compliant app, you can boost us and stream some sats our way. If you don't know what that is, newpodcastapps.com. But as I said, our number one executive producer on the day is the one and only Bandrew Scott of the Bandrew Says Podcast coming in at $50. Very much appreciated as I appreciate all of the content that you are putting out there into the world, always spreading positivity and providing the best source out there for anybody interested in buying or learning more about a microphone. Bandrew has probably already done a review on it. He probably has compared it to 14,000 other microphones, and he will give you the information you need to be able to make your own decision, which is something I always appreciate about the reviews that Bandrew does. He lets you hear the microphone in a variety of situations, including playing guitar, singing, spoken word, and then you get to decide if you like the way it sounds or if you don't. He is an absolutely great resource for anybody looking at microphones. And in case you're wondering, I am using the Shure SM7B today for this podcast, Bandrew's favorite microphone. Also coming in today at $7.50, Johnny Bravo from all the way up there in Scandinavia. Thank you for supporting this show and Planet Rage, the show I do with Larry Blydner on Mondays every week. We get your week started with a nice dose of rage, planetrage.show. And of course, I end your week on Friday with Gene Neftuliev over on Unrelenting, Unrelenting.show. But thank you guys, Bandrew, Johnny Bravo, for supporting this show. Thank you to everybody for giving me your time, listening to the rants, 
I know there are a lot of things you could be doing right now. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast, it is greatly appreciated. I will be back again next week on Wednesday with another edition of the Random Thoughts Podcast. But until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening. 